Say yes, and uh, so glad to have you as well. Awesome to be able to start our service off with baptism. 
And I want to remind you that baptism does not save you. In fact, what baptism is is just simply an outward expression of an inward change. And so we've got someone coming this morning who has trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. And as a result of that, they're following the Lord in baptism this morning. So we're excited to have him. Come on out, buddy. This is Cody Gable. Cody's got some friends here. Uh, you guys stand up. Why don't you? Y'all give it up for Cody. Amen. Good to have y'all. Go ahead and stand up for me, boss. We'll get you down in a second. Co Cody uh, actually plays baseball at Truett McConnell. He's a left-handed pitcher, so we're excited to, to have a lefty being baptized today. And uh, very, very good. So, Cody, man, we're fired up about your decision to follow Jesus in baptism. And, uh, hey, you can sit down now, buddy. God bless you. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just messing with you. But we are glad to have you here and excited to be able to baptize you this morning. And Hayden, based upon your profession of faith in Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Bear with him in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. Amen, amen. God bless you.
Father, we are thankful for your presence in this place today. We want to praise you from whom all blessings flow. We lift our hearts to you in this place. We love you, Lord. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here to lift him up and to praise him in spirit and in truth. Amen. I've been excited all week about where uh, Pastor Levi was going this morning with the message. And uh, as I was reading through, it just got me excited looking at what Luke 5 has to say. 
Because you know, you, a lot of times when you think of Peter, you all the time think of him sticking his foot in his mouth. I bear witness to that a lot. I don't know if you guys do. But man, I love this act of obedience on Peter's behalf. Because you know what? As Peter was standing or out fishing all night long, all night long, doing what he does. He's a pro. He does it all the time. It's like Gary McCallum. He's a pro fisherman. He's out there in the boat. He comes back in. They're tired. They're wore out. Jesus says, hey, I'm preaching to these people. Take me out just a little bit. And he does that. After he gets through speaking, he tells Peter, hey, you guys, you and the boys go on out just a little bit farther. Go in a little deeper and throw down your nets. And Peter's like, look, man, we've done this all night long. We're pros at it. This is what we do. There's nothing out there. But yet, in obedience, they go. And they let their nets go a little deeper. And as they begin to pull up, the tug of the weight of those fish out of their act of obedience to do what was right, they had to start calling their buddies, hey, you guys, come on. We can't handle this. We need help. And as their boats were being filled, they almost sank. And I loved what you said in the first service, man. You know Jesus was sitting back there just laughing at them. You know that had to be funny. And Peter and him are looking and going, this just doesn't happen. And as they get back to the shore, after doing what they do best, and they're pros at it, the, probably the best catch they've ever had in their entire life, their most prosperous moment, and Jesus says, you're no longer going to fish for fish. You're going to be fishers of men. Follow me. After his best catch ever, probably most profitable one he'd probably ever have, at that instant, he said, come and go with me. At that instant, at the height of his career, at the height of what he was doing. Man, I feel that the Lord is calling us today. This song just reminds me, it says, Lord, take my life. Everything that I am, my ears, my mouth, how I speak, where I go, my hands, how they're used. Everything about me, take it and I give it to you. Are you at that spot this morning? I just pray that as we lift this song up, that you will listen and I want to just sing a pretty song, an old hymn of the faith. That you will let this be something that you'll be willing to say, Lord, here am I. A lot of times we're sitting around waiting for mission opportunities to happen and go, I wonder if I'm called to that. Isaiah said, it, it said I'm looking for somebody. God said, I'm looking for somebody. He just said, here am I. I don't care what it is. Just here am I, Lord. Send me. Let that be our mentality and our mindset this morning as we hear and as we continue to lift the Lord up. Oh, speak to our hearts this morning, Father. Do a work in the lives of us today. Help us to hear your heartbeat. Help us to hear that small whisper if you choose to whisper, or that thunderclap, whichever it is. Help us to be willing to say, here we are. Take my life and let it
excited about a couple of guests that we have coming up here to hang out with us this morning. We've got Michael Edwards, who works with First Day Ministry, as well as, what's your name again? Chucky Connor, all the way from CMU. And our church has some great partnerships with uh, both of these particular ministries. And so I wanted to do a little bit of opportunity just to ask some questions of Chucky, get you uh, really to get a picture of some of the mission opportunities that we have here for our church family. So Chucky, uh, tell us a little bit about CMU, if you will. I will. Uh, first of all, there are many people probably in this building today that have been on mission trips with us, but uh, many of you may not know how our organization started and what we do. And 
Uh, I'll try to keep it short. I know you're going to preach about 10 minutes, so keep, keep it short. <laughs> anyway, uh, the, the, heart of, the heartbeat of CMU is building churches in Brazil. We build uh, simple buildings for congregations, church plants that already exist. They already have leadership and land. And um, that's, a, that's the main thing that we do. We've been doing it since the 70s. And what happened, my father was a pastor in Deerfield Beach, Florida in the, in the 70s, early 70s. And um, he had several of his seminary buddies and preacher friends that kept telling him, hey, man, there's this missionary from Brazil. You need to give him a Sunday in the pulpit. He's really good. And my dad's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure. No, no, you know, he just knows it's going to be the same old, same old. So finally they talk him into it. And this, past, this uh, missionary named uh, Paul Bellington that had been serving in a city called Porto Vale, Brazil, which is out in the middle of nowhere, came to Deerfield. He gave him the pulpit that morning. And my dad said it was the first time he heard a missionary share his passion for ministry on the field as opposed to the hardships that he endured. And he goes, man, I've got to see what this guy's about. So long story short, he took a trip to Brazil with him. And before he, he left, the, the missionary contacted him several times and said, hey, I know some other missionaries and they, they need this. They need a ham radio. They need clothes. They need gifts for their kids. So my dad began to share these needs, put them all together. And on the first trip he went down there, he, you know, he lugs all this stuff. And he goes, you know what? Maybe God wants me to be a mule. You know, I'll be a mission mule for, for, for Jesus in the Amazon, and that's what he wants me to do. But the second time he went, they went to a little town called Rio Branco Acre, which is close to the Bolivian border. And this uh, simple little family there invited them into their home, which was about a 12 by 12 shack with a dirt floor. And they said, you know what? We've started a church here in this house, and we've grown. We have about 30 people coming. Um, they basically you know, just shared their needs. They said, we need a building. We don't have, we have some land now. We don't have the funds for a building. It would take us years, you know, with a, mm -hmm. with a money that these people tithe to have any type of building. So my dad came home, shared the need, took a group of men down there and built a church. And he said, when he did that, it was very clear to him what his calling would be in Brazil. So that, the, that first church was built in 1976. And we've been doing the same thing ever since with uh, the exception of a few new things the Lord has for us. So. Gotcha. Do you know how many churches you guys have actually built in Brazil? 308. Good night. That's and, awesome. Hey, man, listen, it's, it's, uh, it's not a testament to my dad or to me or my family. It's a testament to God's faithfulness mm. and a testament to what people like you do, churches like you that are mission-minded. I mean, that's, you know, our, our mission organization is a family. And, um, and we're made up of, of people that are willing to go. That's how the whole thing happens. And um, I'm just thankful we have a relationship you know, with, with you guys. Yeah, tell the church a little bit more about that. We probably have more guests in this service. So <laughs> talk a little bit about how uh, CMU and Concord has worked together in the past. Yeah, the, uh, I want to say 10 years ago was the first time um, a group from this church went to Brazil with us. And um, I tell you, I don't have the words to convey uh, how much I appreciate your involvement. You know, you've sent people to Brazil, the new ministry that's going on in our backyard with Chuck House, Chuck's house. Uh, you've sent people, actually more than one team over there. But um, I think it's easy to forget how important the people are that help send people and that pray for the people while they're down there. And I know a lot of you are here today that have done that. And thank you from the bottom of my heart. This church and many individuals in this church have been an important part of uh, our ministry in Brazil. Mm -hmm. And uh, many of you had a great relationship with my dad, which means a lot to me. You loved him well, and, 
and uh, encouraged him in a big way. And uh, it's just it's meant a lot to our family personally and it's as well as you know, CMUR ministry. Yeah, definitely. Well, good deal. Tell us what uh, direction you basically are looking at going, especially in Brazil. And you didn't mention Montgomery. You mentioned Chuck's house. Mm -hmm. That's actually Montgomery, Alabama. And we've got a crew coming out there in a few weeks. Am I correct on that one? You do. And um, in an, I'll kind of tell you in short what has happened there. And um, I kind of recently the analogy has come, has come to me that CMU's this really great old hymn, you know, and, and a lot of times, James can relate to this, sometimes you can tweak the tempo or the time signature or change the arrangement a little bit and the lyrics jump off the page again. And I kind of feel like that's where we're at. Uh, last year, we started a new ministry called Chuck's House. And what happened, a couple years ago, uh, my father passed away and Randy and I were working together at CMU and I didn't know what the Lord wanted us to do with the house. I felt like it needed to be, you know, somehow a part of missions, maybe a part of seeing you. I just didn't know what to do. I thought, well, maybe it'll be a retreat center or a place for you know pastors to stay when they're passing through. And you know, I kind of got to thinking, there's not a whole lot of people want to stop in Montgomery for on the way to Florida. You know, when you're three hours away, you might as well keep driving. You know, so. Amen. Uh, anyway, we had a friend that went on staff with an inner city ministry there in uh, Montgomery, and Randy and I went to visit him one day, and he showed us this neighborhood and the. the um, the kids that they were pouring themselves into and the life change that was happening in that community. And we just asked them, said, man, is there a way our ministry can help you guys? Is there something we can do? All, all we're, we are familiar with is volunteers in Brazil, you know, that's mm -hmm. what we do connecting uh, the local church here with the local church there. But if there's a way we can help you, let us know. And he goes, man, we need volunteers. So the light bulb kind of came on for us and Randy had a vital part in that. And uh, ironically, your youth pastor, Brandon brought the very first group out there to the farm where right. our, our, our little house is. and What did they do? They built bunk beds. As a matter of right. fact, you're sending a group to fix them. That's right. Know. Yes. So, <laughs> uh, no, that's right. But uh, anyways, long story short, we have this ranch-style house out in the country. We've put bunk beds in it, and we've partnered with a local ministry there, and we host mission teams there in the old farmhouse and get them hooked up with service projects and stuff. Man, it's been the neatest thing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's been as life-changing for the people that come and do that as, as the folks right. that have, have gone overseas, man, it's unbelievable. Very good. And where are you guys headed now? What do, what do you feel like your greatest need is? Well, we, ha we have some other opportunities. We, sure. um, in addition to the Chuck's House Ministries, we're doing some service trips in Brazil where we, we're not building churches, but uh, for instance, we'll have a group go to um, a state in June and we'll build some Sunday school rooms for a church that we built five years ago and they're growing, they need some help. So that's one of the things we're, we're doing that's different. And um, I also was contacted by a Brazilian pastor about a year ago, and he asked me um, if there was a possibility of me helping connect him with some people that might do pastor training and stuff. And I said, "Man, I don't, I don't know anybody, but if I, if I ever meet anybody, I might be willing to maybe help yeah. you out and try to make that happen." So that's uh, an opportunity that's been brought our way, and I've just been looking, man, for somebody that does pastor training and things like that. So I'm, I'm praying. I'm praying. That That'd be awesome. I'll meet man. somebody that does that. So let's talk about that for just a moment. <laughs> that was a great segue, wasn't it? So uh, we're all sitting there. But what we'll do is uh, with First Day Ministry, if you don't know this, this is the ministry that we started, uh, myself and several others, a few years ago to invest in pastors overseas. Our primary concentration has been in Africa. But last night at the uh, Great Captain Bill. Billy's, Great Captain Billy's awesome. in Claremont, we ate crab cakes and oysters and... <laughs> basically had a trifecta go on with Concord, First Day Ministry, and then CMU to start looking at opportunities to do some pastor training, right? So let Michael share a little bit about how the pastor training works. 
Um, well, like Levi had mentioned, uh, we are First Day Ministries. We primarily uh, have been working in Ethiopia to do pastor training. We, we take local pastors and bring them into a, a village and bring pastors from the United States and actually facilitate a pastor training for uh, the pastors in these third world countries. At the same time, we bring mission teams uh, out of the churches and work in the villages of, of where these pastors are coming from. Uh, we, we've done well digs, we've done medical clinics, uh, ESL, uh, different children's programs. And as people come to know Christ in these villages, we're, we're introducing them to their local church that we're also responsible for their pastor training. So that we're ensuring that not only are, are people coming to know Christ, but that they're being discipled uh, correctly through the pastors that we're training. Uh, so that's the ministry of First Day. We've, we've been, uh, like Levi said, primarily working in Ethiopia and are now looking to expand to Brazil. So. Amen. That'd be awesome, won't it? Hey, listen, what we want to do is let you as the church family know that we are looking at two international trips towards the end of the year. One in September, Lord willing, will be in Brazil. But then another in October, which will actually be over in Ethiopia, which I can't wait to go back and uh, see all the guys there. So if you're interested in any uh, shape or form, I want to encourage you big time to see Michael. Chucky will be out there at the table as well. Uh, whenever you leave here, you can sign up. Just, and we'll just get you info, just if you have an inclination that you'd like to be a part of that. And uh, however you're gifted, man, is how we work those things in. So if you're gifted in a certain area, we'll create a ministry opportunity for you in one of these places. Does that sound good? And before we leave, I want to pray for you guys, and I want to invite the church to uh, join with me in prayer. But before we do that, I also want to ask if we have anybody in the building who uh, does haircut for a living. If you cut hairs for a living, would you raise your hand? Very high. Because Chucky needs a haircut very badly. Y'all look at this mess, man. It's like he slept on his face. But anyway, so... Uh, I'm just kidding. Don't give him the microphone. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. All right. We're going to pray for you guys. All right. Father, we're so grateful uh, for First Day Ministry, uh, what you're doing through that ministry to impact pastors internationally. God, not only that, but also to expand the gospel. And Lord, what a great privilege it is now to link Concord and First Day uh, right alongside CMU. We're all running the same path, all seeking the same thing. That is to honor you with our service and to uh, spread the gospel. So I do pray for this in Brazil and ask God that if you see fit, that you would open up the doors for us as a fellowship to have a a long-lasting impact in both of these areas, and we're going to trust you to do that. And God, I thank you for Chuck and his leadership, as well as Michael and his leadership uh, in these particular ministries. And God, I know uh, the difficulty that they face uh, quite often, so I pray that you would fill them with your spirit, continue to strengthen them by your word, and give them real vision for the future and where you are having them to go. And God, thank you for what you're doing, and thank you for this church family being mission-minded. Now, Lord, I'm going to trust you to put Put it on the hearts of people in this church to be involved in some of these mission opportunities. So God, open the door and we'll give you glory for it. And Father, I'm just so excited about uh, how you're linking this together. So just continue to work and speak to our hearts this morning. In Jesus Christ's name that we pray, amen. Y'all let them know how much you appreciate them being here tonight as well. Go ahead, brother.
And if you brought a Bible with you, I'm going to invite you to open it with me to Luke's Gospel. If you're visiting with us, we're glad that you're here. We've been going verse by verse through this Gospel, and the message series is really entitled Astonished. And we look with fresh eyes at the Lord Jesus Christ, His life and His ministry, and we pray that God would speak clearly through His Word to each one of us. So I'm trusting that you came to God's house this morning to actually hear from God, and that's what we've come to do. That's why we go straight to the Word. So Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, you can stand with me in honor of God's Word, and let me read the entire text all the way through verse 11 this morning. The Scripture says, Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the Word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let your nets down for a catch. And Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. But I will do as you say and let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled the boats, both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all of his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon Peter, Do not fear. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and they followed him. Let's bow together. Father, uh, use your word this morning to speak to hearts. God, I pray that you would draw people into real discipleship. Some people here today don't know you personally. Uh, if they were to die, they'd perish separated from you. So God, use your word to draw them to salvation. And then those who are disciples, those who are seeking you, God, I pray that you would strengthen them through your word today, encourage them. Uh, to really follow hard after you and do what you've called us to do, and that is make disciples. Thank you once again for the opportunity to preach. I'm trusting uh, the Spirit of God to move this morning. My goal is to lift up you. So God, enable me to do that. Empower me to do that, and I'm going to trust you to work. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said amen. You can be seated. Well, one uh, phenomenal individuals of the Christian faith is known as Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a German theologian and pastor during the era of Adolf Hitler, and he participated in a movement to resist Adolf Hitler's Nazi ideologies. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, compelled by his conviction of Scripture and love for Christ, he remained faithful to God's call upon his life to teach, to preach, and to live out the Word of God. He became a prolific writer on the idea of discipleship. A disciple is simply a willing learner and follower of another. Well, Bonhoeffer was a disciple of Christ. And he's most famously noted as the author of the book entitled The Cost of Discipleship. Uh, one of the most quoted statements of Bonhoeffer speaks directly to this idea of discipleship. And we have it on the screen for you. But he writes, and I quote, When Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. You know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was in prison in Europe for his rejection of Adolf Hitler's Nazism and his steadfast devotion to Jesus. He was ultimately hanged just before the end of the Second World War. He was a martyr for Christ who ultimately saw his most quoted statement become a reality in his own life. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And Bonhoeffer indeed came and he died. 
Well, where did Jesus really begin calling people to follow him? Where did he really start calling people to be disciples? Well, Jesus began calling people to discipleship at the beginning of his public ministry. Discipleship, by the way, is just a big churchy word, I know, but let me kind of give you a, a quick definition. But discipleship is a process whereby we actively grow in our relationship with Jesus and gradually reflect more of his character and conduct in our day-to-day lives. You know, one author writes about discipleship, and I quote, listen to this. says, unfortunately, to many people, discipleship is more of a program than a lifestyle. They fill their notebooks. They make sure their blanks are filled in with ferocious devotion. They memorize selected passages and meet with their accountability partners to ensure that they've crossed every T and dotted every I in their program. While none of these activities are bad, they are not necessarily discipleship. See, while discipleship involves actions, it has more to do with attitudes than actions. Unless the attitude is right, all of these activities can become an end in themselves. You know, following Christ can never be boiled down to filling in a blank or attending a meeting. It is far too organic for that. In fact, being a disciple is who you are. It changes absolutely everything. And, you know, to many people, they're simply trying to act Christian instead of just being who they are, a new creation in Jesus Christ. And you know, this morning, our text bears witness to you and I of Jesus' great desire to call individuals to follow him. And, and, and I stress that. He calls individuals. So just very quickly before I even get into the message here, look at me eyeball to eyeball. Some of you have come to church this morning, but Jesus, by his grace, is going to call you as an individual to start following him today. That is going to be his call upon your life, and you will make a decision before you leave our time together. But as we look at discipleship, our real key question this morning is, what do we note concerning Jesus' call to discipleship? Three things. Are y'all with me? Say yes. Uh, The very first thing is simple. Jesus is not looking to draw a crowd. Jesus is looking to make disciples. Jesus is not looking to draw a crowd. Jesus is actually looking to make disciples. Look in your Bible again at chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. The scripture says, Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around Jesus and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats lying on the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. Well, Jesus had become extremely popular, by the way, almost overnight. His preaching campaigns in the synagogues throughout Judea were drawing large crowds, and people had a great desire to get near to him. Uh, the crowds were following him from the synagogues to every place they vi- that he visited. They were astonished at his authority in teaching, his authority over demons. They were even astonished at his ability to miraculously heal other people. You know, Luke testifies in this passage that the people were pressing around him. It gives the imagery of many people urgently imposing themselves into the presence of Jesus. See, the crowds were literally pressing against Jesus as he was standing by the lake. So you can imagine Jesus being literally pushed even further right to the lake shore. And so these crowds, you, you imagine there are people trying to squeeze themselves through, pushing forward just so they can maneuver their way towards the front and get a glimpse of Jesus Christ. Now, they all wanted to get around Jesus and they wanted to hear the word of God. And just a side note here for just a moment, Luke is the author of this gospel and Luke mentions the very fact that when Jesus was preaching, he was preaching 
preaching the word of God. So he testifies indeed and understands that the words of Jesus are actually the words of God. Now, Jesus saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake. But the fishermen had gotten out of them, and they were washing their nets. So these boats, boats weren't uh, boats. How about boats, all right? These boats aren't what you may be thinking. They aren't bass aluminum boats. Uh, but rather, they were made of wood on average of 26 and a half feet long and about 7 and a half feet wide. And these fishermen, upon arriving back to the shore, would take out their uh, fish and they would begin to sell them in the market. And the markets were typically set up right offshore. And when their day was complete, the fishermen would wash their nets. That is, they would actually untangle the nets and get rid of all the junk that they had picked up from the lake. But what they were doing is getting ready for the next fishing trip. You know, Jesus in this passage, the Bible says, is being pressed in by the crowds. And he had a great idea. Notice it in verse 3. It says he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's. And by the way, Simon here is Peter, Simon Peter. And he asked him to put out a little way from the land, and he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. Now, I can imagine his voice echoing off the water as the people are listening intently. Many of them, having followed Jesus as he was sailing out, they are knee-deep in the water themselves. They're just listening with great intent. However, as we've already seen in this passage of Scripture, Jesus ends up turning his attention to the few people in the boat. See, Jesus was not concerned with drawing big crowds, but instead he was, and this is huge, uh, if he was actually concerned with drawing crowds, he would have relished in the moment and even continued to draw bigger and bigger crowds. But I would suggest to you uh, this morning that that was not his heartbeat. And I also would suggest that as a member of the Concord staff team, we understand that we must continue to fight the world's definition of success for a church fellowship. See, Jesus was not concerned with drawing crowds. Jesus was concerned with making disciples. And listen, we must not concern ourselves with drawing crowds to Concord. Rather, we must be concerned with making disciples everywhere. Churches can draw a crowd without Jesus. However, a fellowship cannot make disciples without the Lord Jesus Christ. If Jesus is concerned with making disciples everywhere, then it stands to reason that we as a fellowship here at Concord should be concerned with making disciples everywhere. And as we look at this fellowship's growth, I mean, we're all amazed. Uh, we always are excited about what God's doing here as a staff as well. And I know many of you are excited about how God is moving as well. However, I don't think Jesus is concerned about how many people we have attending. The great concern of Jesus is how many disciples are we making. Uh, what brings glory to the Son of God is not how many people press into the building, but rather how many actually leave the building equipped and empowered to make disciples in their homes, make disciples in their workplaces and in their communities. See, we as a church body, we must strive together in unity and love that we would, with synergy, actually become a disciple-making machine here in this fellowship, so that as we leave here, we actually make an impact in the community, making a difference in people's lives. First thing I note from this passage of Scripture, as it pertains to Jesus calling disciples, not so much concerned with drawing the crowd, but rather he's concerned with making individuals disciples. Are y'all out there say yes? 
And that is wild too, isn't it? Because that kind of goes against the grain, I believe, of what a lot of church growth experts say. And so as a result, we have to be very careful, even as a fellowship, and this is just kind of a quick warning for you, as we look out in the community and people see, you know, more and more people coming to Concord and they applaud and they're like, look at what's going on over there. Listen, it is awesome that people are coming, uh, but that is not the definition of success. Are y'all listening? A successful church is a disciple-making church. So not, not so concerned with how many are in the building, but literally how many are infecting, so to speak speak, the community and the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can get a whole bunch of people in here, but whoop de doo Are y'all listening? I, I said, are y'all listening? I'm going to preach whether y'all want to or not, all right? If we get a whole bunch of people in here, that's fine, but I don't think that's the goal. Now, I'm not turning folks away. Are y'all all right? If they want to come, I'm fired up about that, but I'm trusting Jesus to change people's hearts and to actually put them in service and carry out the mission of Jesus Christ, which is to make disciples. Look, if we are not doing that, we have totally missed it, man. All right? So that's what God's called us to do. So we're looking at making disciples. <laughs> Point number two. Y'all still with me? Here we go. Jesus is not looking for those who think they are worthy to follow him. He's looking for the humble in heart to follow him. Your attention to verse 4 and 5, please. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. Now, real quick newsflash about Jesus. Not sure if you know this or not, but Jesus was not a fisherman by trade. Jesus Christ was actually a carpenter. Now, perhaps as a carpenter, he made a boat in the past, but he was not among those who got into the boat and actually went out fishing. Just, just imagine with him for a moment. Put on your imagination and think about a person who is born and raised in the heart of New York City. Uh, he lives in a high-rise condominium and rides the M train underground to his place of work where he sits down at a desk job across the street from Central Park. And this man makes a visit to a resident of the great city of Lula, Georgia. I don't know what y'all are laughing about. But anyway, so uh, then he looks at some Lula light in the eyeballs and says uh, in his northern accent, I'm going to take you out fishing. The Lula light would laugh his face off. He's like, you from, where are you from? New York City. Paste piccani sauce. Uh, y'all still with me? Sorry. That's what it's like, Jesus the carpenter. He's from Nazareth. He tells these men who were born and bred to fish and make a living, put out your nets again. And this is absolutely crazy. But Simon Peter agrees and he lets down his nets. And you've got to hear him shouting the orders. And this is huge. You've got to do this with me, all right? So everybody participate. Are y'all with me? Say yes. You and I right now are in the boat with Peter and Jesus. Are y'all in the boat? No, I just asked y'all. Are y'all in the boat, Sam? Everybody's in the boat. We're in the boat. And then Peter shouts it out after hearing Jesus say, hey, y'all cast your nets down. And so Peter says, hey, men, you heard him, right? Nets overboard. In verse 6, when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. Now, you're in the boat. Just a minute. Check it out. That's what I want you to do for just a moment. We just threw the nets overboard. Now grab hold of the nets. Have you got a hold of the nets? 
Yeah, y'all haven't moved, but uh, have you got a hold of the nets? Put them in your hands, right? And you feel the resistance on them. You feel the weight being pulled against your hand. That dude is full of fish. And man, what you do is you, you find as we pull up that the fish are going absolutely everywhere and your, your legs are getting cramped, the muscles are getting hard. And man, it is wild as you try to find a place just to literally gain more leverage on the side of the boat. Your eyes wide open. You pick your jaw up from the bottom of the ship because you see in those nets something that you hadn't seen all night long. They are full of fish, and fish are absolutely everywhere. And then don't you hear Jesus in the background laughing? It's hysterical to him. Simon Peter's laughing as well. He's joining in, and it's just like anybody who goes fishing, right? When you go fishing, and I know you go fishing because y'all are rednecks, so when you go fishing... Just like I go fishing and I get a bass on the end of the line, boy, I just start getting all fired up and smiling. Woo! Two pounds. But anyway, so we pull that choker in and uh, a lot of fun. And so that's what's happening here. I'm, I've got the picture in my mind and all these fish are in there and the nets are starting to break. And then verse 7, they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. Now stay in the boat for just a moment and listen to Simon Peter shouting it out as he realizes his boat's sinking. He says, hey, you, yeah, you over there with the boat, come over here, man. We got so many fish, this thing's about to sink. And so these men begins to move over to where Peter and Jesus and all of us are. And with help, we finally get all the fish into the two boats. And I mean, we're breathing heavy. Aren't y'all breathing heavy? The boats are filled with flopping, wet, wide-eyed fish all over the place. So we're wiping our foreheads from the heat and looking at the great catch of fish and the men smiling ear to ear, Jesus laughing again as the men start taking water into the boat. So much fish, so many fish in there. The boat's sinking. Good night, what a catch. We better get to the shore, verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at his feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Now, this has got all of our attention in the boat. The fish had our attention for a moment, but now we've turned our attention to what's going on with Peter. Can't you see Peter lying face down on a newly fish-tiled boat? His face, and I haven't seen it like this before until I studied this week, but his face are in the fish. Peter saw the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And listen, face down is the only proper response when we see Jesus for who he is. And when we see Jesus, I mean, listen, when you and I really get a glimpse of who Jesus Christ is, the first thing we note about him is his holiness. He's pure. He is spotless. He is glorious. And when we really see Jesus as holy, we begin to recognize ourselves for what we are. We are unholy. We are inglorious. And we are unworthy to even be near him. And Peter did exactly what Isaiah did in the Old Testament when he witnessed the glory of God. The angels were singing in the temple. They were saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then Isaiah responded, Woe is me, for I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. See, Isaiah saw the King of glory in the temple, and Peter saw the King of glory in a fish-piled boat on the lake of Gennesaret. 
Peter didn't deserve the fish, nor did he deserve to see the King of glory, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. But listen, Jesus did not come looking for people who think they are worthy to follow him. Jesus came looking for the humble to follow him. James said it best in the New Testament, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Jesus doesn't look at your life. Are y'all listening? Say yes. Jesus doesn't come to you this morning, tap you on the shoulder here at Concord Baptist and look at you and say, are you worthy to follow me? Jesus doesn't ask that. Jesus taps you on the shoulder and says, are you humble enough to follow me? See, Jesus isn't looking for people who think Jesus needs them. Jesus is looking for the folk who say, I need Jesus. Massive difference there. Verse 9, amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And while the men, and I want you to check this out, while the men caught fish, Jesus had just caught disciples. He was modeling for them the mission he was going to invite them to take. Because y'all look at me for just a moment. This is hard for a uh, preacher to even uh, try to make, make sense. But in this text of Scripture, Peter sees the glory of God in the person of Jesus. As he gets to know him, he sees that, he falls to his face. It's wild when we gather together and I say, you know what? The only proper response when we see Jesus is face down, man. We humble ourselves before the Lord. I, I, you know, I kind of get a... I don't know how else to say it, but I kind of get nervous sometimes that we can come to church and never see Jesus. Are y'all out there? We can, I said, are y'all out there? I was like, two of y'all, right? We can come to church, right? And we sing some songs, we shake a few hands. I'm glad to see you. You look sharp today. And then we leave here and there's no change in our life. And we never saw Jesus. Uh, it, you know, if we don't have... And please look at the preacher, all right? Don't get all scary on me. I ain't talking about like an actual vision of him up here, all right? But if we don't look to who Christ is, when we gather together, we are not worshiping. We're hanging out. I mean, we, and be very careful because this can become a country club with a cross on top if we don't watch out. All right? But what we do is we come and we want to see Jesus. Right? We don't, listen, we're not coming to listen to James sing some songs. We're not coming to listen to Levi tell some jokes. You know, we come together to see Jesus. That's what we come for. And anytime we begin to come for any other reason, we ain't coming for the right reason. We may as well stay at the house. Or y'all, y'all, like, y'all ain't never heard a preacher say stay at the house, have you? But but it's some. It's amazing to me that when in the Bible they see Jesus, people just fall to their. Even the demons did this, by the way. As soon as they see Jesus, they just fall at his feet. I, I fear that possibly, and I'll, I'll, I'll speak on my behalf, I fear that possibly uh, I have become hard-hearted myself and a bit prideful myself. That I can come to church, preach a sermon, and totally miss an opportunity to see Jesus and actually worship him. Are y'all out there? So, you know, I'm just saying I don't want to do that. But it's very simple. It's like some of you Sunday school teachers. You can teach a whole Sunday school class without ever worshiping Jesus. You can lead worship without worshiping Jesus. 
I guess what I'm trying to get at is that we as a church body, uh, we need to look for Jesus when we get together to worship. And make sure we honor him and worship him and glorify him. That, that would be something I would like to hear in the community. Not, man, y'all got a bunch of people coming down there. I heard y'all are seeing Jesus down there. You got that right, baby. Are y'all with me? That's good stuff. Let me give you number two. You ain't got a golf clap for me. God bless you. So, <laughs> yes, we want to see Jesus. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> Let me give you number uh, three here. Jesus takes us out of the mundane and involves us in his mission. Into verse 10, the Bible says, uh, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Do not fear, for now on you will be catching men. You know, in Matthew's gospel of this account in the boat, we find that Jesus also said, follow me. So Jesus is going to take them out of the mundane of life, out of the daily grind of just throwing out nets and hauling in fish, cleaning the nets and launching out again. He was going to take them out and get them involved in his mission to make disciples everywhere. And think about the contrast, too. This is wild. The men were used, used to catching fish for death, but now through the gospel, they'd be catching men for eternal life. In this passage, the men were pulling in a great multitude of fish for death, but in the book of Acts, Simon Peter would cast out the net of the gospel and catch 3,000 men for eternal life. See, where the nets captured fish, the gospel rescues people for Jesus. And notice uh, the men's response in verse 11. When they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and they followed him. Think about these men coming to shore, holding on to the nets in one moment and then completely letting them go the next. They dropped their nets and left the two boats filled with fish. They left their life's work and they followed Jesus. And what a picture of true discipleship, following Jesus. It gives the imagery of these men immediately getting in line right behind Jesus and following him wherever he would go. They became, in that moment, willing followers and learners of Jesus Christ. They became his disciples. Their mundane life, which held no eternal value, they dropped it. And they picked up a new life with Jesus, which held supreme eternal value. They joined the mission of Jesus to make disciples everywhere. Now, everybody look at me. Finished with the message for the most part. Good story, don't y'all think? Awesome in the Bible. But as we look at a text like this, now it's time to hold it up like a mirror. And let's get a glimpse of where you are. What about you this morning? Uh, could it be said that some of you are part of the crowds? Y'all look at me. Look, 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 look at me. Could it be said of you that you're just a part of the crowd? You just kind of followed everybody else in here? You've been visiting this fellowship for a few weeks, months, or years, but you haven't attached yourself to Jesus? And Jesus doesn't want you, sir, ma'am, teenager, to just be part of the crowd. Jesus wants you to be a disciple. Jesus isn't calling you to be a spectator. He wants you to be a participator. Jesus is calling you out of an old life into a brand new life. And take a moment and uh, ask. And this is what's wild. I'm, I'm going to be like, take a moment and ask that you'd be able to see who Jesus is. And you know what this is? I don't know how it's explained this. It's that this is a work of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God 
He, he rots that in your heart. He brings that about in your heart. And he, for the first time, opens your eyes to who Jesus Christ genuinely is. That is the work of the Spirit. And you see him as king of glory, as holiness, and then you look at your own life. And don't sit out there, by the way, as a hard-hearted man. All right? Say, I don't need Jesus. Listen, yeah, you do, too. It's the problem. You get around with the crowd, and you're not individually following Jesus. You can get around, but like, well, you know what, Jesus, uh, it's all right, but I don't really need him. Listen, uh, without Jesus, you couldn't take your next breath, bro, all right? Uh, you do need Jesus. The Bible says he holds eternity in his hand. Listen, Jesus is actually causing uh, the earth to sit in the very uh, atmosphere. If it weren't for Jesus, this whole thing would go up in flames. And so, um, yeah, we all need Jesus. And so there are some of you guys here, and I ain't trying to be ugly or anything, but let me just look at some of you men, all right? Some of you men, you came up in here, and you're like, man, I don't need Jesus. Uh, matter of fact, I'll just listen to a sermon and go home. Then my wife should be all right with me because I went to church today. Look at me, man. That is so not the call of Jesus Christ. call of Jesus ain't just to show up in church. Y'all listening? call of Jesus is actually to follow him. It is a rejection of your sin, turning from your old way of thinking and living, and choosing to follow Jesus Christ. That's what these men did. And that's what some of you men need to do. You're coming in the crowd, man. It's time for you to step out of that. Are y'all listening? And follow Jesus. And you know what? Some of you, you are followers of Christ. You know the Lord, but for some reason, you've gone back to the mundane way of living. It's like you pick the nets back up again, and you're just fishing again, and you're totally missing the fact that whenever you were saved, you were placed into the kingdom of light to actually shine as a light of the gospel so that other people could be saved. You're totally missing that. And wasn't there a time in your life whenever you were saved that you were fired up about following Christ? You wanted to tell people the gospel, but then something inside of you happened, man. What is the deal? Grown cold, grown hard, lukewarm. Jesus looks at lukewarm stuff and says, that makes me want to throw up. I would pray that Christ would not look down upon this fellowship and say, well, yeah, they got a crowd coming there to Claremont, but they're all lukewarm. Y'all still my friends? Didn't come out like this in the first service, so all this is free. Y'all are like, I'm coming to the first service next week, but uh, here's what I know, here's what I know. Whenever you humble yourself before Jesus and you actually get before him, and you, you, you're like, Lord, I, you know, I'm a sinful man, and, and listen, and y'all, this is me talking. Lord, I'm, I know I'm a preacher, and I'm going to get up and preach, but God, I've got some issues in my life. I've already messed up this week. I'm faltering here. God, I need you to uh, forgive me. You, you know what this is? I, Lord, I, need, I, I just want to confess my sin to you. I don't want anything between me and you when I get up to preach because it's awful lonely in the pulpit if you ain't with me. And so I, I want to get right with God. And so whenever I do this in humility, even as a Christian, and, and I, I kind of see it like, uh, like Peter. Uh, you have to put your face in the fish more than once. And it's just in humility. So you bow before the Lord. But then whenever I get up out of a time of humility, you know what God does? God gives empowerment and strength to do what? To follow him. That's what they did. He fell down on his face in the boat. But when they got to the side, he followed Jesus wherever he went. So whenever you 
Fall before Christ in humility as an unbeliever and say, God, I just need to be saved. I'm a sinner on my way to hell, but I understand Jesus died for my sin and, and was resurrected. So today I'm turning for my sin. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to follow you. When you stand up out of that, you leave this time actually following Christ. And then as a believer, you confess your sin. Lord, I want to be used of you. I want to be a part of your mission. You stand up and you're following Christ. And I want you to check this out because this is wild. Whenever you're following Christ, guess what you end up doing? Fishing for men. Jesus said, hey, y'all follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So, so let me get it to you this way. Let me work backwards. Can I do that? Fishing for men. It's what we do whenever we're following Christ. We're sharing the gospel. So I don't know where you work. Hey, your goal in life isn't to draw a paycheck. Indeed, you're drawing one, but really your goal in life is to make disciples. Uh, college students, your goal isn't to make good grades, although you probably should. But your goal is to make disciples. Same thing for uh, high school, middle school. Everybody in this building, you're in your home as a, uh, a mother in the home. Your goal is to make disciples of your children. Now, that's what God called you to do. And listen, you do that when you're walking with Jesus. You're following him. You just This is what you do. But if you're here this morning, you're like, Levi, I'm not making disciples. I hadn't even thought about sharing the gospel. You know what that does reflect? And I don't mean to be ugly here this morning. I'll be... Truthful, you're like, I ain't sharing the gospel. Look, it reflects the fact that you're not a part of his mission. And the reason that you're not a part of his mission is because you're not really following him. And the reason you're not really following him is because you really hadn't had your face in the fish lately. Y'all hear what I'm saying? We'll get our face in the fish around here. Then we follow him. We become keenly aware that there are lost people everywhere who need Christ. And we want to share the gospel because we have the nets that will catch them, not for death, but for eternal life. That's where we need to be. And what a great picture that would be of an entire church family who said, hey, we're going to put our face in the fish around here. We don't even care anymore. We want to humble ourselves before God. We want to ask him to use us so that when we get up as a mature man, as Paul the Apostle said, we leave this place keenly aware that we're here to make disciples of all nations. And that way, whenever we talk about going to Brazil, or we talk about going to Ethiopia, or we talk about going to Moldova, wherever we talk about going, you're like, that's right, that's what we do. <laughs> or we talk about going across the street. That's what we do. Are y'all listening? That's the thing. I'm afraid there are a lot of churches gathering today. Right now as we speak, they're gathered together and all listening and watching this preacher all over the place. So many churches meeting right now, but so few people are being saved. What is the problem? We totally forgot what we're supposed to be doing. Instead, we came to church, and here's what happened to us. We came to church, and we sat in our pews, and we said, let's see if James does a good job today. That choir don't sound all that good. I think they might be off key. What's she wearing? <laughs> oh, here's Levi. Oh, man. Is he ever going to finish this Luke study? We've been in this thing for weeks. Chapter 5? How many chapters are in here? <laughs> All right, it's getting late. I'm getting hungry. i got to go. Don't sit out here and look spiritual. You know you already thought that twice. <laughs> 
And then, and then we, th this is what happens. Then I get to the invitation. Let's bow our heads and close our Thank you, Jesus. We'll start putting our stuff up. All right, hustle up, hustle up. We're about to leave, about to leave, about to leave, about to leave. Amen. We can get out of here. Here, let me, let me show you what it ought to look like. If we're, if we're like this on a regular basis, facing the fish on a regular basis, we get up and we follow Jesus and we come to church. Hey, listen, we'll get to an opportunity to worship Jesus. We want to give him everything we got. And we, we want to do that because we understand, biblically speaking, that when we lift Jesus up, he draws people to himself. And so our worship together as a fellowship actually is evangelistic. We're just lifting up Jesus, and then Jesus starts working in our midst. And then when the preaching comes, you can't wait to hear God's word be preached. And so you're looking forward to that. And then when the invitation comes, you're not collecting your stuff trying to get out of here as soon as you can. You're praying, God, there are lost people in this building. Draw them to salvation. Totally changes when we humble ourselves and we follow Jesus. Well, I guess I'll close it out since I've been trying to. Hey, look at me, look at me, look at me. How else will I say it? Uh, we all need to follow Jesus. I don't know how to say that. That's what that text was saying. So if you ain't, start. Let's pray. Father, speak to hearts this morning.